0: One of the spiritual practices uh, that over the years have given me the most life is the keeping of the the daily office. Now, for those of you who don't know, the daily office is a set of of prayers meant to be said throughout the day. It's in our book of common prayer. And the, the main prayers are meant to be said in the morning and in the evening. The office has a a schedule of readings where one will read from the book of Psalms and then from the Old and New Testaments. And when one prays the office, even if one is praying it by oneself, one prays with the whole church and prays on behalf of the whole church. And there are many, many great benefits to praying the office— like it gives one an intimate look at the Bible, creating familiarity with the the contours of Scripture. It teaches one to pray, giving forms and images that I have found make their way into my my spontaneous prayer. One of the best things about the office is that it, it doesn't care about how I'm feeling. I can pray the office whether I'm happy or sad, joyful or grumpy, centered or distracted. No matter where I am at, I can give the time to God and open myself up to praise God and let God do with it what God will. But I have to admit, there are times where the office has been less than life-giving for me. For instance, if you say it long enough, then it, it does get to be sort of boring. Though, admittedly, that's part of the point. But there have also been times where praying in the office has become a sort of spiritual danger for me. So for instance, there have been times where I've taken great pride in the fact that I have been faithful in keeping the office. And I've used my faithfulness as a way of, to compare myself to others who I thought should have been praying the office but weren't. I set up in my mind a, a spiritual hierarchy where I resided above the others. I was the faithful one, and those others not so much. But as our gospel lesson today shows us, this sort of thing, this sort of creation of a spiritual hierarchy can be a form of perversion of a spiritual practice. And it can be damaging and it can be dangerous. So our gospel lesson, it focuses in on a conflict, a conflict between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees around the issue of washing one's hands before eating. The scribes and the Pharisees have gathered together, and they have noticed that some of Jesus' disciples have not washed their hands before sitting down to eat. And they take issue with this, because to them, it is out of whack with the tradition that they have received from the elders. Now, it's important for us to realize that this issue with hand-washing is not about being sanitary— As much as it is, is about being ritually pure before God. It's a sign and a symbol, the action itself. A tradition had evolved with these scribes and Pharisees where a commandment that the priests be ritually pure before making a sacrifice to God would now be applied to the whole of God's people. The idea here is that they are to be a holy people, set apart by God to be a light to the nations. So, when these scribes and Pharisees ask Jesus about hand-washing, behind their question is another question, a question about Jesus' faithfulness and a question about Jesus' commitment to God. Now, if you listen to the Gospels enough, then it can be easy to form a negative view of the Pharisees. They tend to be some of Jesus' principal rivals, and as such, Jesus is often depicted as disagreeing with them. And indeed, at this point in Mark's gospel, we've been told that some of the scribes and the Pharisees have already begun to conspire to kill Jesus. But this morning, I'd like to caution you against demonizing the Pharisees. First of all, It could be the start of a a slippery slope toward a form of anti-Semitism. Christians always need to be on guard against this. But secondly, for all of the disagreements that Jesus has with the Pharisees, they actually represent an extremely faithful response to the Jewish predicament of their time. And Jesus agrees and recognizes this in other places throughout the gospel. For you see, the Jewish people faced extreme oppression and prejudice under Roman occupation and rule. Their faith was often discriminated against, and there were all sorts of cultural forces that made a faithful relationship with God difficult. And the Pharisees, they advocated a a life of keeping the law and adopting certain spiritual practices in order to live faithfully and freely as the people of God. I would encourage similar things of you all so that you might be faithful people of God. And what's more, to the Pharisees and indeed for Christians as well, the law was a gift from God, a gift of grace that helps to promote a worshipful way of life and to make one realize that we are dependent upon God for our very existence. Like the Pharisees. We all should long to live as God wants us to live, because we will only only be free to be the creatures we were created to be when we live in accordance with God's will for us. Spiritual practices, like the washing of hands before eating, are intended to help us live lives responsive to God. And I don't think that Jesus disagrees with that, So that begs the question, then, doesn't it? Why does Jesus push back so hard by accusing the scribes and Pharisees of hypocrisy? Well, it's not that Jesus is taking issue with the practice of hand washing in and of itself. Indeed, we are told that some of the disciples did not wash their hands, which of course means that some did wash their hands. And Jesus does not condemn them for it. Jesus is not condemning the practice. Rather, he's condemning the attitude that this group of scribes and Pharisees have adopted behind the practice. And to illustrate this, Jesus quotes from the prophet Isaiah, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. The problem for Jesus is is that this group has weaponized a practice that is supposed to to draw people closer to God. They have taken something that could be life-giving and instead used it to create a spiritual hierarchy. And in this scheme, they've created a system where they get to claim that they are closer to God than those who have not washed. They've adopted a stance of spiritual pride, and in doing so, they have failed to examine the state of their own hearts. In order to encourage this examination then, Jesus goes on to invite the crowd, and therefore all of us, to examine what does put barriers between us and God. His list of evil intentions of the heart is meant to lay bare the ways in which we neglect to honor and love God and honor and love our neighbors as we should love ourselves. These things come from within our hearts, and they fail to honor the connection that we have with God and with one another. And let's face it, this list that Jesus rattles off is a pretty comprehensive list and it casts a pretty wide net that i think covers most of us for instance which one of us has not given ourselves over to folly or to envy at some point point? and indeed if you can't see yourself on this list then perhaps you have succumbed to the sin of pride um, just worth a little examination of the heart. But all of this that Jesus has to say should really really bring us to a place of humility. Wherever we are on our spiritual journeys, we need to recognize the ways in which we can wall ourselves off from God and our neighbor. And as Jesus makes clear in this disagreement about hand-washing, some of our best practices can actually turn into our worst enemies. I would certainly, and do, recommend a whole host of spiritual practices to you. We should never underestimate the value of of regular worship, of prayer and meditation, or works of service, or financially supporting the church and her mission, These practices have an incredible power to draw us into God's orbit and to make us live more open to God and to our neighbor. But let's face it, they can also be beguiling practices that lull us into a state of pride or lull us into a, a state of deception. They can reaffirm feelings of superiority and cause us to think of ourselves more highly than we ought. They are like any tools, and like any tool, they can be used for good or for ill, depending on the intention of the user. Ultimately, Spiritual practices are meant to be a response to the God who created us by and for love. This God longs to draw us in and to win over our fragile and muddled hearts. For indeed, God knows what is in our hearts, both good and ill, and loves us all the more. And our practices are intended to help that process of giving our hearts to God. So indeed, adopt your spiritual practices. Worship and pray, serve and give. But let those practices work their way down deep. Let them touch that heart of yours so that you might truly give your heart to the God who loves you. Amen.